previously on Film Code. It was King. Your clues were uh, legends. There were several legends in the movie. Uh, I fixed the year, so it was 1978 to 1988. And all black cast. Eddie Murphy's coming to America. Oh, okay. Ooh, I think that was the one. Hold up, man. Oh, man. <laughs> what made you pick that one? Because Eddie Murphy is a king in that movie, and he's also a legend actor, and there's a few act- legends in that movie. So, coming to America. All right. And it's an all-black cast. That is true. And it came out in 1988. <laughs> I, I have to agree with Brandon, because when you had the, the first year time frame, mm-hmm. I was looking at movies, and I did see Coming to America, and I'm like... That's the only thing that makes sense. I am so <laughs> disappointed in you guys. Uh... <laughs> no, that's the no, we got the point. And the movie was in 1978. The king I was referring to is the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Yes. And the legend. Michael Jackson's not black. Yes, he is. <laughs> and the legends that I was referring to are Diana Ross, Nipsey Russell, uh, Teresa Merritt, Lena so Horn, Richard I'm Pryor. Hang, I'm, I'm hanging Abel up goodbye. Thelma Carpenter, Quincy Jones. I am, of course, referring to The Wiz. That was your cold word movie this week. All black cast, legends. Dude, you were not allowed to pick nothing ever again. King of Pop. Good guesses, though, guys. Really good. Uh, okay, no. So no one gets you the point this week because I, I swerved you guys, and I'm so glad I did. It was up? fun. <laughs> You're like that dude in the van who promises candy, but there's no candy. <laughs> there's no fucking candy. It's, it's just heartbreak. That's so mean. Phoenix's late change in date sent the guys into a tailspin. This week, Nathan's turn. So my code word was goals. Goals. Uh, my first clue was that it featured two older actors who are considered legends. And that is the second clue was that it was from 2005 to 2010. It's a nice five little stretch. And um, clue number three was it was somehow connected to Interstellar and now you see me. Will anyone be able to crack Nathan's code word? Plus, the guys discuss the best and worst films of 2020. And thanks to the theater's reopening in Ohio, they review Inception. All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. going on everybody welcome to film code episode 14 is it 14 why do i always forget what number we're on um (laughs) what's going on really excited to bring you this new episode a special edition episode i don't know why it's special but probably because these two guys are sharing one screen today what's going on nathan and nick how are you guys 
I'm the, the Nick and I are sharing the screen. Uh, we're here back at school after uh, all summer. So yeah. been watching, I think we watched what, like close to eight movies in the first week together. So um, head on over to YouTube if you want to see us on the same screen. That's pretty cool. Uh, otherwise, I'm doing really well. You can follow me on Letterbox at Nathan Pig. And uh, yeah, thanks for clicking on the episode. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, I'm Nick. You can find me at Letterbox. I'm at Nick Spain. Again, I've as well posted a uh, super hot Wes Anderson take. Probably not as hot as Nathan's, but <laughs> nonetheless. So go go check that out. Okay. All right. Sweet. So. Well, let's get started. Uh, we have a very interesting episode this week because uh, theaters are open again. At least in my in our state, theaters are open again. And uh, they are doing what is known as uh, comeback classics. So they're bringing back a few films uh, from years past that everyone gets to check out again for a cheaper price. And I decided this week, along with Nathan and Nick, <laughs> that we were all going back to see one exciting movie, and that was Inception, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ellen Page, a uh, bunch of people who I forgot was in this movie, Tom Hardy, uh, uh, Marion Cotillard, so yeah. Uh, so... You, you guys tell me, like, I know you guys were super excited with the... Uh, you guys are big Nolan fans, obviously. Um, so, seeing Inception again, what did that do for you? I'll go. Um, so, Inception's one of my favorite movies. It's my favorite Nolan film, just by, like, a, a little bit. Um, so, I was super excited. It's funny, because Nathan and I were talking about this. We have a letterbox list called 2020 Seen in Theaters. And it's mm-hmm. weird to have a, a 2010 film among <laughs> the, the shit films that we saw in, in 2020, like Birds of Prey. Um, but no, it was, it was great. Um, we had the whole theater to ourselves so we could kind of move around and, you know, talk through some of the, the scenes that are still, you know, up in the air for interpretation and everything like that. Um, but there, you could feel the sound. It was great. I mean, watching on a you know 50 inch TV is great, but as soon as you get that that theater experience, it's, it's fantastic. And to watch a film that you know I don't you know I don't know about you, Phoenix, but a film that we were never able to see in theaters because we were like 10. Ooh. So it was great to to be able to see a film like that. Yeah, and I just want to kind of echo what Nick said. Um, this return to theaters for us was really personal and nostalgic. I mean, this is a theater where we've seen. Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Joker, um, I've, I saw 1917 there. Like, we've seen so many brilliant recent films at this theater that, as well as several horrible ones, but <laughs> anytime, this theater means more to us than just any normal theater to any normal moviegoer. Um, you know, we've seen just so many iconic films uh, of recent memory at this theater so to return to theaters to see inception again it is great and everything but to see it where we saw it back nice. here at school uh it, that just meant a lot to us as well and i also think that it's not just being able to see a fantastic movie but also it's kind of the the catalyst of 
theaters reopening and getting Hollywood, you know, the gears rolling again and getting getting films pumped out there. I mean, I don't know. I think we're going to get New Mutants in a couple of days. Yes. Like a week. So, you know, hopefully two films that bring life to the 2020 film year, you know, <laughs> not been good at all. I don't even have a four-star movie in my 2020 Jesus. so far. <laughs> all right. Well, we're actually going to get into the best of 2020 later. But, uh, yeah, uh, I feel you guys because actually uh, where I saw Inception is the same theater I saw a lot of. I saw Endgame uh, like four times there. I saw uh, 1917 there. Yeah, so, like, it was just nice to get back in and, and, you know, fill the seats, eat the popcorn. It was fantastic. And then on top of that, Inception is an amazing movie. Like, like I, I can't be, so, I was so excited for them to bring back that film. Uh, interestingly enough, I didn't see it in theaters either. I, uh, I like caught it like at home or something like that. So to see it, yeah, so to, to see it in theaters was amazing. It's such a, such, just so much better. That giant screen, you get all of the visuals, all of the sound design. It was fantastic. Inception, uh, this was early, Christopher Nolan. This is after the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. No, it's in between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Right, because this was 2010. Yeah. And yeah, okay. Yeah, so after the two best um, films in the Dark Knight trilogy, you have... Inception. <laughs> uh, okay, like, you can't beat this cast, though. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio at the top of his game, Marion Cotillard. Uh, like, I don't even know where to begin because there's so much to this movie. And uh, it's interesting to me because, like, so this is your... How many times have you seen Inception? Okay, yeah, this was my second time as well. So, like, um, I noticed that, uh, speaking of Tenet, uh, the first reviews were released uh, yesterday or the day before, and it's a bit mixed. You know, a lot of people were talking about how it seems a little complex, a little convoluted, and as I was watching Inception, I noticed that they explain like the whole concept about two or three different times in the movie. Yeah. And it's very like, it's, it's a loaded concept, but I think it's so cool. Like, I don't know you guys, you tell me like, did you prefer like that? Like huge exposition dump where everybody like talks about what can happen this way, this way, like four or five times, or did that not work for you? Which in my opinion, I don't think it's an exposition dump. I've never at least interpreted it that way. I think that with a concept like Inception, first off, this is the most creative movie I've personally ever seen. Um, and with a concept that's so deep and so, uh, again, for lack of a better word, creative, you have plot holes everywhere and you have to explain to the audience, like nobody's lived through this. Obviously it's not real. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all dream, but no one's lived through Inception or anything like that. So you have to explain this fresh and new concept to everyone so everyone can understand it. And yes, it is confusing. Like, you will need 
three or four watches to completely understand everything. But I still think Nolan and the writing team do a fantastic job of explaining exactly what's going on. And I, I don't think it's an exposition dump. I, I really don't. Like, I think the way that, um, like, Dom is explaining things to, um, what's her name, Ariande? Yeah, it was a really weird name. <laughs> Ellen Page's character, yeah. yeah. He's teaching her just like he's teaching the audience as yeah. well. Because, and, and, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has so many scenes in this movie where he just throws out one-liners that explain something. <laughs> like just little stuff like that they could have very easily sat down for 25 minutes and told us everything but mm -hmm. they don't they like break it up into several different points um they leave you just enough time to to wonder about something let you simmer on it and then explain it later so i've never thought of it as an exposition dump though i i'm interested to to hear what you think but what do you think of that um i think i i agree with nathan um there's definitely been movies where you've been able to tell like in dialogue where somebody asks a question and the person answers to help you understand the story more. Not that like project power. Yeah. Ask a question and they will know the answer and you will know the answer, but to solidify it. And you're sitting there and you're like, wow, that is so obvious that you just asked that for the pure fact for like, helping the audience out, which yeah. if you're a good audience and you follow along, you should know most of these things. But with this, like, I think it is such like a complex and creative and such an original idea that you have to be able to like have that good mix of explaining things, but also not sounding like you just ask that for the audience. Yeah. But I, I think Nolan nailed it. Like I, I, there was no time where I was like, all right, like this is so unnecessary to hear because even <laughs> through this is my third time watching it. Like even then you find new things that you didn't know like before that like Nathan knew or, you know, he asked me questions that he didn't know, but I knew, you know, and there's a, a just kind of agreeing with what Nick just said, just taking it a little step further. Like there are movies we've seen. There's none that come to mind right now, yeah. but there's are movies that we've seen that make the audience feel dumb because yeah. they so many times. It's like, we get it. You don't have to keep reminding us. And with a movie like this, I feel like they need to keep reminding us because it's just, it's so unique and it's such a deep concept that you have to, you know. I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, uh, yeah, there were there were some, like, you're right. Like, it's it's a very creative, intricate idea, original idea. Like, that, so much of that is like, you, you got to think about that. Like, one, all of that came from one guy's head and then he has to, like use seven different characters to be like these are the rules pretty much of how how we work through this but uh yeah i love it it's, it's a genius concept uh that that alone pulls me in but uh let's talk about let's, let's talk about how it even just tells its story because it's so well done so the concept of inception is you're you're trying to plant an idea in someone's head that that the whole idea of that is crazy ridiculous and it's just i don't know i i love this movie i i was shocked at how much i love this movie like like truly because you know you know i'm not a i'm not a huge nolan stan or anything like i like 
a few movies here and there, but you know what I'm saying? He's not exactly, you know, my guy, top guy or whatever. But um, this was just, it was just, I don't know, man. I, I like, I just did not expect it to be this good. And this, only being my second time, and the first time was literally about 10 years ago, uh, seeing it, yeah. <laughs> like, like, so it, now being fresh in my mind, it's like so brilliantly done. Um, yeah. What about performance-wise? Like, uh, obviously, Leo, Marion, I think those guys stand out to you guys. Uh, who else surprised you as far as acting in this movie? Well, one thing I, I really want to touch on and one thing that's become increasingly important to me as of late is timelines. Like, Mick mm -hmm. and I have talked about this a lot. Timelines as far as actors' careers. And to me, Tom Hardy was a, a standout in this for what he was at the time. Yeah. You know, Phoenix, we watched Warrior last week, and that was right after this for Tom Hardy. He was not um, a ho he was not a Hollywood big name. Like, when he played Bane is when Tom Hardy became an A-lister. Uh, and then he went on to do Mad Max. Yeah, and then he did Mad Max, and he did Venom, and, you know, he became that really recognizable figure. But, yes, this is a big blockbuster. Um, but he wasn't that well-known of a name. So I don't think he gives the performance of his life. I don't think he's... I, I'm actually going to go back to what I just said. He's not a huge standout. Um, but for what he was at the time, mm -hmm. an unknown to star alongside Leo, who's very well-known, and then just ridiculous talents in Silly Murphy, just Gordon-Levitt. Um, Tom Hardy at the time was not an A-lister and unknown. So good on him for that. But um, I think Ellen Page was a standout for sure. Um, she never really had to get ridiculously emotional, but when she did, she nailed it. Again, I don't think anyone in this cast deserves an Oscar for their performance or anything like that. But um, standout-wise, I think Ellen Page did, did a great job. Yeah, and I'll just I'll touch on Leo, obviously. Um, I think his best scene was, was in the first dream layer when they're all, you know, talking about the band and how, how they go into limbo. I think that was a, a great scene for him and just kind of ties together his, his performance. But we, we can move on because Nathan pretty much said everything that I agree with. Well, and, and I think Cillian Murphy, too. Oh, so um, good. Is, yeah. is a very overlooked actor. You know, he's definitely not an, an A-lister, per se, or a, a top-tier uh, guy in most people's minds. And I haven't watched Peaky Blinders. I know that's what he's known for. But in every movie I've seen him in, he's not really a big role. Even in Batman Begins, he's not even the main villain. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he delivers a very good performance as well. Uh, like I said, I don't think any of these people deserve to be nominated because it's just they all collectively put together a great performance. Right. Not right. Like one person carries. But... Um, Silly Murphy is very good as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, speaking of timelines, actually. Uh, okay, so the first time you saw this movie, were you confused at all about the story? Or did you need a second to, like, rewatch it? Or did you get it? Or how did it how did it sit with you the first time, and as opposed to this time? I think that anyone that tells you they fully understood the story 100% <laughs> the first time after watching it, <laughs> There's no, there's just no way. Look, 
Like you can be paying attention a hundred percent. You can be just on your game. You can be a brilliant person. There's not a chance in hell you understand every single thing in this story the first time around. There's just, there's just not. Um, so of course we were confused by some things. Um, I'm still confused by some things after watching this for the second time. Nick and I were talking about it last night and it's not things that are like ambiguous. Like I'm sure we'll talk about the ending where that's up for debate, but not okay. even things like that. It's just things that I don't even know how that works. So oh, yeah, yeah of, of course I'm confused by a few things. <laughs> um, I, I feel like the first time that I watched it, like I understood it enough to really have that appreciation and love for it. Um, and the second time, like I watched it, I think, I think this is a movie that the more you watch it, the more you understand. And, and I think, you know, Nathan, Nathan said it best is like, you can watch it a hundred times, but you're never going to understand everything. And I think that's just like the way it was written, the way that this whole idea is, unless you become like a fanatic and like, <laughs> like every single like split screen and like, you know, become a, a an expert and get your PhD in like dream psychology or some shit like that. <laughs> but you know, I think if you can, I think the the main thing is with this movie and what I've seen a lot of on Letterboxd just in the past couple of days with it being re- released in theaters, the people usually give it a, a lower score than you know, like three, you know, two and a half stars, even like one star down that range. Just like every person has said, like. I don't understand this. This is confusing. Yeah. You know, so for those people out there that don't get this movie, like give it another go, watch like an explained video, something. <laughs> this movie is definitely worth the two and a half hour runtime that it, that it has. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like the first time I watched it, I could understand it enough to explain it to someone what the premise is about. Yeah. Probably answer some general questions as far as what they're doing. The different dream layers, like I understand that. Uh-huh. But what, what I'm still questioning is more specific things that don't really, aren't too relevant to the whole overall story. Mm-hmm. Um, more specific questions like that. But yeah, I, I, would anyone be able to explain this to Nolan to his liking? Probably not. I don't <laughs> think there's that, that any casual viewer that didn't work on this movie could do that. Um, but, you know, we all at least understand it enough to, to talk about it like this. What about you? Oh, uh... I feel like I got, I got the gist, right? Like I got the gist the first time. I was like, yeah, that's that's a pretty cool idea. I understood it. I felt like as an action, like I felt like it was really more of an action movie, just a really sophisticated action movie. And so I was like, hey, there's, you know what I'm saying? With with strong action, great actors, and an interesting story, I'm I'm sold whether I get it or not. And then the second time I was like, this is this is like brilliant, like 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 really really brilliant, and I think it's just I would like if I saw Christopher Nolan, I'd probably be like, dude, what are you reading? Like, what made you come up <laughs> with this concept? That's just it's too crazy to me. Uh, but yeah, I dug it tremendously. Uh, yeah, I literally am like o- overwhelmed at how much I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, like I said, I'm not huge on Nolan as a filmmaker I I recognize I'm in the minority on that but <laughs> but this is like this is like one of my favorite movies I think of all time yeah um wasn't it like in your top three best of the decade yeah yeah I mean, 
Yeah. 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 Made all our lists. Yeah, made all our lists. <laughs> Something that I want to touch on just a little bit is, you know, I think this comes with, with Nolan's territory, um, and especially is evident in this film. It's just, I mean, the way I describe it is kind of like onion storytelling, mm. where the more you peel it back, the layers of the onion, there's still more story and more things to be told. And the way that Nolan does it is so fantastic because it keeps you engaged, it keeps you guessing. The whole storyline with Leo and, and, and his wife, you know, halfway through, he explains to Ellen Page the whole story that we've been teased for an hour, hour and a half. And you're like, all right, well, there we go. I, I know the whole story, it makes complete sense. And then you get to the end scene when they're in the limbo and the whole conversation with Maul and how, you know, Inception actually came to be. I'm not gonna, you know, say specifically just in case, you know, somebody out there hasn't. I think, yeah, I think we can talk. When, (laughs) yeah, you're right. All right, when when Leo says like, the way I I knew Inception work is because I planted the idea in her head. Like, when I first saw that, I was like, whoa, like that was like a a mind, mind blown sort of moment. And I think the whole movie with that is just peeling back like the layers. And Nolan's done this time and time again with, with his story. And I just really like that part of Inception. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the, the whole story. Yeah. Actually, I, yeah, I would have to agree. Like, I, it's funny because the first time I saw it, I remembered the whole action part of it. Like them trying to, you know, I guess implant this idea in the guy's head. I remembered that. But I had totally forgotten about the relationship aspect between Cobb and and uh, his wife's and I was like that was such like it's such an intricate story and such an interesting story like it's almost two separate movies but you know what I'm saying it works together and like you you mentioned the onion uh, thing I agree with that I feel like there's so much story here that I'm kind of shocked we never got a sequel and I'm wondering if yeah. <laughs> we, we actually talked about this on the drive back from <laughs> the, the movie yesterday. Um, the sequels, like, we're really happy that Nolan doesn't do sequels mm-hmm. for his original stories. Like, you know, obviously he did the Batman trilogy, but that's an established character. Nolan didn't create that character, things like that. Um, for his original ideas, I'm so glad none of them have sequels because. I think in today's world, everyone is just so obsessed with money and they don't care about value or like what it means. I think, you know, right here, if Pulp Fiction was made today, if it was 2020, I bet they'd make a sequel to it. Oh, yeah. Because everyone, <laughs> everyone is crazy about how much money something can make and no one's not interested in that. Of course he wants to make money. I'm not saying that. Right. But he, doesn't, he's, he cares more about the intricate story that he wants to tell more so than um, anything else. Like, I feel I, like all the all the great directors working today, like, stay away from from sequels. Like, obviously, we have Tarantino and you know the two Kill Bills, but like in Eagle News, like he hasn't done any sequels other than the Blade Runner sequel. Um, and there's like going to be two Dune movies, which makes sense because it's like a big story. But I can't think of any big known name director that is known for like oh. multiple movies that are sequels. Well, I mean, even look at like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is getting a spin-off series about like Bounty Law. Yeah. Why? Why yeah. is that necessary? <laughs> I mean, 
we're all, all three of us are huge Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fans. And I can tell you right now, none of us want that. Like, so why are you touching things that don't need to be touched? I mean, Inception is a wonderful film. It's brilliant. You don't need to potentially, like how, if they were to make a sequel, what are the odds that it's actually going to improve just the general yeah. Inception story? Like, is it going to be better than the first? I'll tell you right now, no. probably not. <laughs> but even if it's good, how much is that? Is it worth it? It's not. It's not worth like ruining the story. Um, so none of Nolan's movies have sequels outside of the Batman trilogy, and personally, I love that. I do think you uh, maintain a sense of. Uh... For lack of a better term, prestige by uh, just uh, keeping that one original story. And oh, you just, mean the whole movie you hate? Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you you just keep that uh, that level of prestige by uh, just because that's the reason I feel like Inception still holds uh, a special place in a lot of people's minds is because it's the only only story of its kind really and uh it's just it's that, that nick and i were talking about yesterday when we were watching it because we had the whole video itself um what do you think is the most iconic scene in this movie Ooh. I'll, give you, I'll give you some time to think about that while while we do <laughs> yeah. um so i think and, and nathan and i kind of like established this from the difference between shot and scene yeah I think the one of the two most iconic shots in this movie is when either a the the spinner at the end, um, which I think that'll kind of be our next thing that we're going to talk about. But also the flip over when Ellen Page is in her dream and she flips mm-hmm. the whole city and it just kind of collapses in on itself. Um, I think that's probably the most iconic shot. Of it, but I think the most iconic scene, and Nathan and I agree, is when um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is twirling around in the in the hallway doing the, the fight scene, and you know wrapping everybody up to prepare for the kick. Like I think that's probably the most iconic scene. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna hit those same beats: um, the dreidel at the end, or the spinner. However, we're we're dictating that. Um, I think that's the most iconic shot as well, right before the ending, and then. Um, not only him spinning through the hallways, but the elevator scene itself, like him trying to, to tie them all together and then place them on the elevator and mm-hmm. blow it up. Um, I think that's the most iconic scene as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was, I was toiling with that. I do think the, uh, the hallway fight scene is, is definitely, I think that's more an iconic shot than it is an iconic scene though for me. Just it, it, it is yeah. broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I would have to go with uh, uh, the first time she realizes it's a dream and everything starts exploding around her. That to me is probably the, yeah, that was a really iconic scene for me. Uh, but yeah, and the, of, of course, the, the spinning dreidel, I think, you know, just leaves so much room for interpretation. I think that's such a great scene. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that's the, the last thing we'll touch on. Otherwise, we could probably talk about this all day. But yeah. I, I, I do want to ask uh, one more thing before we get okay. to the end. So 
Um, I know for Nick, like it's a five-star movie. Phoenix, I know for you, um, you absolutely love this movie. I don't know if it's five stars for you, but um, do you see any any issues necessarily with this film? I know we're, that's going to be real nitpicky, but um, <laughs> any problems at all with this film? Oh, I guess uh, I'll start. With, yeah. I guess I'll start with that. For me personally, I think I thought it was really cool how in the beginning they established that if you die in a dream, you wake up, mm-hmm. but if you feel pain, that's mental and you feel it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool, and they like completely abandoned that. And I don't think that's necessarily an issue as much as it is something I would have liked to see more of. Like I'm not gonna like hold this back for that reason. But I definitely would have liked to see more of, you know, other than JGL getting shot and waking up, like I'm pretty sure no one else dies in their dream and wakes up right then and there. Um, so I would like to see more of that. Um, another thing too is I think that the ending where he goes, where Dom tries to save uh, Mr. Sato, the uh, Asian guy who, who dies, I think for a movie that is so intricate and tells the story almost perfectly, I think they completely rush over that, like 1,000%. I understand that the the literal first scene we see is at the end, like I, I get all that, but I think they rush through that so much. And he's like, no, Ellen, I got I gotta stay here because I gotta bring him back. And then bam, they're, they're back like that. Like I think they completely rush through that. I honestly, I got nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. They find him on the beach. Yeah. He sits at the table and he's like, uh, I've been waiting for someone. I've been here in limbo. And he's like, yeah, I wanted to tell you something. And he's like, honor our deal. Bam, they're back. It's like, what, what, what just happened? I mean, like, so with both of, with both of your issues, I, right, like, the pain in the mind thing, I feel like that's true. And like, if you, if they just did like one cut back to them, you know what I'm saying? As they're asleep, you know, just reacting to the pain because I've had dreams where I've gotten hurt and I wake up and I still remember that. So I know that's, that's at least plausible. Uh, I'm I'm not holding the film back for that. It's just something I would have liked to see more. It was weird to establish and then like throw up. Yeah, like again, like like one other cut back to them as in as they're sleeping, reacting to the pain, would have saved that. You know what I'm saying? That would have been fine. Uh, yeah, the thing at the end, I get it because it's like limbo. I, I feel like, and he was down there for such a long time. I don't know how long. You know, they they talk about like, hey, you know, sixty seconds here is like, you know, a year there or something like that. So I don't know how long it actually took him to get to him. But it was already like two hours and 20 minutes at that point. So I'm like, okay, yeah. Unconscious is brought to him. And then he's like, uh, honor our deal. Okay, yeah. we're away. Okay, you guys flew through that. Yeah, it, it was flown through. But at that, at that point, I was like, you know what? It is what it is. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't hurt the film enough to like to take anything away from me. I would agree. So yeah. let's talk about this ending then. Mm. Uh, who wants to start? 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think he is awake. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's no I mean I've seen it three times, I could be completely wrong. There's no like one thing that said one freeze frame, one like shot that would explain why he's still asleep, how he's still asleep, unless the whole fucking movie was a dream. Right, right. <laughs> it was a dream. Um, I don't think there's anything that explains it in you know, the whole the whole movie. I think if you're gonna have a plot twist, at least like at least tease it a little bit so you're like, ah, I saw that. I could see how they see that coming. And it looks like it was about to topple over. He's awake. That's that's I know Nathan has a different thought. <laughs> when I first watched it, I thought the same thing. I thought he was awake. But um, after seeing it the second time yesterday, I flipped. I think that they show that room a few times, like his living room, dining room, a few times, and everything's the exact same. All the lights are on, like all the furniture's arranged the exact same way. The kids are wearing the same clothes. Everything is the same as like he remembers and his last memory of walking out on them. And to me, like I know that Nolan almost more than anyone is so ambiguous with his endings and wants you to question it and wants you to think. Like I get that's part of his thing. But at the same time, I don't think he would have thrown it in there if he was awake because just what a way to end. Like why give us this insane movie this great time just to have us question if it was all real? Like, why wouldn't you just end it with a bang? Like, he's home with his family. He gets what he wants. Um, and all the pain that this character felt, that Dom felt, and he is somewhat of an unreliable narrator. I know that we don't really have a narrator, but with some of the things he tells us, he is unreliable. He still lets Maul into all these dreams and risks the safety of the group. Like he's unreliable. We can't trust him. So how can we trust to know that that's real? Maybe he is going back into his dream to, to now that Maul's kind of done. Uh, Cause you know, at the end of the film, maybe this is his only way he can see his kids again. Because also the other thing too, is like, they never established that deal with, with uh, Mr. Whatever. He's like, I'll get you your papers to, to go back to the states, well, that like we don't see any of that. We don't, we don't know. They just wake up, they look at each other, and then that's that. Pick up the phone, you like dial on the phone. Oh, on the plane. I I think for a movie that does everything so intricately and is so delicate with their details, I I think it's way too ambiguous to to say he was uh, awake. I, I I think he's still dreaming. I. I think he was awake and I think he was awake because I feel like, I feel like Nolan did the whole, the whole spinning top thing. Like it's, it's more of a wink and a nod as opposed to like anything tangible to the, to the actual story. Cause like, even as it was panning back, I was saying like, Oh, I bet you that the top's still going to be spinning. Like, and you know, and you see it and you see it spinning and I'm like, yeah, but like like Nick said, like you see it start to slow down and it's about to tip over and that's when it cuts away. So I'm like, to me I'm like, eh, that that's a wink and a nod. That's that's more like that's more cheeky than anything. So it's like 
yeah like it's, it's just like a it's just like a you know make you guess kind of thing but i believe yeah in the end he it's a happy ending whether we know it or not that that's what he was saying and i only flipped after we saw it yesterday maybe next time we see it i'll agree with you guys but <laughs> at a certain point in time i don't Well, Nathan, you you want to give your your score? Yeah, and and I know that I keep uh I'm keeping this train rolling. I'm sorry, but just what one thing I, I want to say is that I always like love looking at casts and things like that and seeing who's worked with who. Um, I know that directors love to reuse actors. I know that, but um, five actors in this movie appear in The Dark Knight Rises, the next film Nolan does. You have Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, Tom Hardy, Cillian Murphy, Marion Collard, and Michael Caine. I, I just think that that's so incredible that he works with, I mean, three of those people were already, or uh, at least two of those people were already established in the Batman trilogy, but still, just to reuse those people, five people, Yeah. In, I, I just think that's so cool. So um, my scores are four and a half. That's where I was originally, four and a half out of five. Uh, that's an A. Very good score. I, you know, Nick and I are pretty stingy with our, with our grades. So that was what I gave it the first time. That's what I give it coming out of the theater. It's less of me having problems with the film, and more of I really only give five stars to movie I movies that I absolutely love and movies that resonate with me a certain way. And when I think of five stars films, I love Inception. It's a brilliant film. But for me, it does not resonate with me as much as the other five-star films do. So that's that's more of what it is for me. Well, with this being one of my favorite movies, I just I just love this. Um, I originally wasn't going to go see it yesterday because I had just seen it in June, but I just decided to to go ahead and see it. And you know, my favorite movie of all time, Titanic. You can't watch that every single day. You couldn't watch this every single day, but I. For sure, wouldn't have had that quick of a turnaround and not love this. So, that's the All right. Uh, yeah, I was leaning towards five stars, but actually, I think I agree with Nathan. Uh, it's it's uh like in my mind, it's a brilliant, brilliant film, and but I feel like it doesn't it doesn't meet the level of the same five-star films that I have. So for me, it's four and a half. Uh, but like a very, like, it's not, it's not like 4.5. It's like 4.8. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic film. I love Inception. I think it's great. Yeah. All right. So uh, we got to move on to what's good. So what's good, what's good, what's good. Guys, uh, it's just us three. <laughs> it's been a weird week for me, I know for sure. Uh, but what do you have that's good? Nathan, you want to kick us off? Yeah, well, starting Wes Anderson's filmography, uh, we don't have anything good to start with that. <laughs> and then uh, we also watched Project Power, which I think is the worst Netflix movie I've seen since Lovebirds. Jesus. So, yeah, <laughs> that was a fucking disaster. Um. No, so 
I'm going to do something a little bit different, to be honest with you, since we haven't watched anything good this week. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I'm going to recommend the Batman trailer. Um, <laughs> Nick and I, you know, I said it earlier this episode, we don't watch trailers, but um, I am so hyped for the Batman. Everyone on this show knows how much I love uh, Batman and that universe that I made an exception to watch that trailer. We made an exception to watch that trailer. Uh, so obviously came out yesterday. Man, I, I love it. I love it. It, it. It's easily one of the best trailers I've ever seen for anything uh, up there with, with Dark Waters, with Infinity War, with Marriage Story, as far as some of the best trailers I've ever seen. Um, and man, it's if, if I was at my hype level was already 15 out of 10. Now it's <laughs> 5 out of 10. Uh, the Batman trailer is fantastic. Nice. I'm going to go a little bit of a different route as well. We just spent, you know, almost an hour talking about Inception. Um, but the last thing that I'll say about it is my recommendation is if you've seen this film, if you love this film, and you're kind of on the fence about going to see it in the theaters, I would recommend you do it. Um, obviously, if you can do it, you know, and be safe about it. Um, but, you know, I've loved this film, and going to the theaters has totally changed my experience. It's crazy that a 2010 movie is back in the theaters and you probably will never after this year have another chance to watch this movie in theaters. So I recommend, obviously, if you can do it safely, go and see Inception in the theater. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, so my recommendation uh, this week is going to be a movie, a documentary called Boys State. It's on Apple Plus. Uh, so I saw this at a film festival last year. Uh, it's a really, really intense story, and I love intense documentaries. Uh, so this one is about, you know, these boys who uh, decide that they're going to run, run for office. And, you know, me personally, you got politics and uh, documentaries. You're going to be uh, – I'm going to be a fan of yours. So, Boy State on Apple Plus. Uh, that's a 2020 release, so something good from this year. Uh, <laughs> Inception in theaters, definitely agree. And I can't believe I forgot that fast. What was it? <laughs> what was it? The Batman. Oh, the Batman trailer, yes, of course. All right, so the Batman... Boy State <laughs> and Inception in theaters. And that's what's good from us guys. What's good, what's good, what's good. We got to move on to some questions. We got a lot of questions this week, didn't we? I got finally. I got them pulled up. So, all right. all right. Our first question comes from Major Takes Seventy Four Joe. Uh, what is better, The Godfather or The Godfather Part Two? And he says that it's the second one for him. Nathan and I sadly haven't gotten around to it. We have this like massive list of movies on notes that probably has at least a hundred movies that we need to get to this year before we graduate. So the Godfather and the Godfather part two and three are on there, but we haven't gotten around to it. So uh, Joe, we'll, we'll let you know after we yeah. watch it, but we can't, 
the answer to that. Do oh, you have an answer? I don't. I have not seen either the Godfather or the Godfather Part Two. Oh, sorry. You know what? We'll we'll pin the question. Sorry, Joe. Um, <laughs> so the next question comes from Hollywood Town. What is your favorite Steven Spielberg film of all time? Phoenix, you want to start us off with that one? Oh dear. Okay. Uh, Spielberg has the most extensive uh, library of films of any filmmaker. So I literally had to go through it and I'm like, oh, geez, there's some movies I forgot that Steven Spielberg even made. So um, let's see here. 130 films. Jesus. Um, Who? Wow. Uh, My personal favorite Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Um, we're talking just directing, right? Like, not everything he's produced and things like that. Yikes. Um, <laughs> my personal favorite of Steven Spielberg is probably going to be... It's got to be... Ugh. While we're young. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be Saving Private Ryan. I think I think that one's going to have to top it, even though, like, you know, he's got some other fantastic films on this list. I think my personal favorite is going to be Saving Private Ryan. Uh, what about you guys? When I was younger, I was a huge Indian Jones fan. That was probably 10 years ago, though. Mm. Um, and there's just some Spielberg movies that I saw when I was younger that I haven't seen in a long time, but, um, I'm going to go with Jurassic Park. I think that, um, the uniqueness of that story is just incredible. And I know that Jaws will probably go down as his most iconic film, but I think Jurassic Park is, is, is right there behind it. Um, Saving Private Ryan is a very good movie, but it's so long yeah. and not very watchable. I think Jurassic Park for everything it's done, starting a franchise and um, everything everything that it entails. I'm going to go with that for me. Yeah, so um, I've been really into, you know, directors and watching all their filmography, and Spielberg's one of those. Um, I think Spielberg could go down as one of my favorite directors of all time once I'm done with his filmography. Um, but i got to agree with Nathan, probably Jurassic Park. I used to watch the shit out of this movie when I was little. Um, and this was before I really understood movies that, that well. So I would just enjoy when people got eaten, um, <laughs> gets plucked out of the, the porta potty and, um, you know, they get chased by the, the T-Rex. Um, so on top of being a fantastic trailblazing film, it just holds a bunch of nostalgia for me. So I would have to go with Jurassic Park as well. By the way, uh, shout out to Hollywood Town. Him and I, a few months ago, did a very deep dive on the movie Zodiac. So Great movie. Um, if you are interested in hearing a, a film code collaboration with Hollywood Town, uh, go ahead and head over to, to any of his accounts. He's a great guy, and I'd really recommend checking out his content as well. If you like what we do here, you'll definitely like what he does as well. Yeah. Um, so our next question is from Desert Island Gamer Podcast. What is the ultimate comfort blanket movie? This is a film that as soon as it begins, the worries of the outside world melt away. Mm. Anybody, <laughs> anybody want to take that? Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, 
uh, this will probably not be a big of a shock. Uh, like I said before, my favorite genre of movies is movie musicals. And uh, this one is definitely probably strangely high on that list. And that is going to be Sister Act. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love Sister Act. I could watch it any time of any day. Uh, <laughs> the classic '90s uh, movie musical starring Whoopi Goldberg. I can, yeah, I I love this movie to pieces. I will watch it any time of any day, anytime it's on. So that for me is going to be my my blanket movie. <laughs> well. I'm going to go uh, hit those same notes there. I'm going to go with the musical as well. Um, you know, sister? I think that Hamilton <laughs> is just such... No. <laughs> it didn't piss them off when we talked about it, then I don't know why they'd be mad at that. Um, no, I can't. Uh, you couldn't pay me to do that again. Um, no, I, I got two picks, to be honest with you, for a blanket movie. Um, Toy Story 2 has always been a childhood favorite of mine. That's just crank nostalgia to a hundred. Um, that's always going to make me happy. And then more recently, it's La La Land for sure. Um, I think that talk about just a beautiful movie with the music, with the love story. Um, everything about this movie makes me happy. So if I want to tune out the rest of the world, I'm putting this on. Especially, you know, when, when we talk about our favorite movies, a lot of them are, are heavy subjects. Like, if you got a lot going on in your world, you just need to relax. You're probably not going to put on Inception. You're probably not going to put on uh, Interstellar or Pulp Fiction. Like, you want something light that you don't have to think too much about. So both of those movies uh, are that for me. <laughs> so I got a couple picks. Uh, the fir My first pick is the original Fast and Furious. Mm -hmm. um, just a, a great early 2000s movie. I think I could just turn this on and just watch the, the you know, car racing and all the action and, you know, all that start to a, a mediocre, but one of my favorite franchises. Um, and then my number one has to be About Time. This is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Time Travel, Rom-Com. Um, this is a fantastic film. Um, every time I'm just like browsing on Netflix, I'll come across this every once in a while and just play the like, you know, demo or whatever you want to call it. When you like hover over a film, I'll watch it every single time. Um, if I could watch this movie like once a month, I probably would. Um, so that's, that's going to be my choice. And then the last question is from Chance Whitmore, LA confidential or unusual suspects? Usual or suspects. Usual suspects. Uh, I have not seen either of those movies. <laughs> they are both on my watch list, but uh, I will let you know <laughs> once I've seen one of those movies. It's so fucking typical that now we get a bunch of questions. And two <laughs> I'm sorry we can't answer that one either. Please keep asking us questions. And yeah. uh, Phoenix and I, who run our Twitter, will be better about letting you know that we can't answer that. <laughs> We, we were not on our game. This week. We'll get on watching those four movies, and we'll come back to you. Yeah, and please keep asking us questions, though. Uh, sorry that we can't do that one. But, um, yeah, guys, every week over on Twitter at Film Code Pod, we ask for some questions to take here on the show. 
you get more of a, a genuine reaction, whereas our discussion and the movie we're going to review, we have a long time to talk about it, to think about it, and to, you know, really prepare what we want to say with these. It's more, it's more genuine. It's more authentic reactions. So uh, it's more on the spot. Any film-related question you have, whenever we ask for Q&A time over there on Twitter, feel free to drop questions, anything movie-related. Uh, the four of you guys that asked questions this week, thanks so much. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. And so now it's time to move on to our discussion. And our discussion this week shall be a very interesting one as we are debating or discussing our uh, best and worst films of 2020. Uh, 2020 has been rough, <laughs> to say the least. It's been, it's been rough. Uh, but uh, there's a few good things to have come out and a lot of bad things to have come out. So uh, let's start with the worst. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> it's not... All right. So, uh, Nick, kick us off, man. What, what, let's say, what are we doing, five? At least, yeah, we'll, we'll do five. We'll, we'll just click, click fire. So my worst movie of the year, it's called Ghost Stories. Nobody's probably ever heard of it. <laughs> it's like a Netflix original. It's in Hindi. Um, so I had to, you know, get it dubbed on Netflix. Thank God I could do that. But it's basically like four short horror stories, and all the horror stories absolutely suck. Um, this is like one of two movies that I've given an F. Um, and the whole reason why I watched this is because I was hyped for the year to start. I was hyped for 2020. Um, so I was like, you know what? Let me watch it. First movie of the year. Let's get it started. And I actually went on Letterboxd. It was one of those moments where you're like, oh, shit, that came out in 2019. But it said 2020 on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Now I had to put in my 2019. And now I spent 144 minutes watching some bullshit that I <laughs> Can't even log it. Where Can't even log it on 2020. Later <laughs> though, it did switch to 2020, making it my worst movie of the year. Well, we've never known Letterboxd to fuck up with ass. Right, so right, right. <laughs> Sarcasm, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, my worst movie of the year is maybe something you guys have heard of. Uh, it's called Love Wedding Repeat. It is a movie on Netflix. Fun fact, I actually watched this on Easter Day uh, this year. So, yeah, happy Easter. Um, this movie's some bullshit. Like, I can't believe it even has a 2-2. I think that's way too <laughs> high. Um, anyone that remotely enjoys this movie, please watch more movies. Please. <laughs> this is horrible. Um, guys, th- uh, there's literally a character. Literally. I- I- I'm not kidding. There's a character who walks around and talks about his dick the whole time. Like, Are you serious? Oh, I'm dead serious. There's a 
character that walks around talking about his penis the entire movie. <laughs> that is not funny. I don't wow. want to hear that. And then it's one of these, like, halfway through the movie, they do a record scratch, freeze frame. Now, let's would have seen what would have happened if things gone differently. (laughs) And it's just, it's so over the top. It's so bad. It's one of these comedies that does nothing right. Please, please don't watch this. What's it called? Love, Wedding, Repeat. Is it like a, like a Groundhog's Day thing, like? Like they keep doing the same thing over? It's more so like, here's what happens. Okay, now that you see what result, what the results are, let's show you what, if something else happened, what would have happened? Oh, okay. So it's more of like, let's work through every situation and every outcome, mm-hmm. more so than a, a repeating thing. Ah, okay. Wow, all right. Well, my worst of the year has not changed. It uh, it is by far the most uh, shitty shittiest thing I think I've ever seen, but definitely the shittiest thing I've seen this year. Uh, and that is Artemis Fowl. Uh, <laughs> Artemis Fowl, Disney Plus. I don't know what the hell y'all were thinking. <laughs> I don't know where it went wrong, but everything about that movie is complete dumpster fire trash uh i I feel bad because there actually are some performances that are well not the performances but the actors who i like and they do an okay job but it's in such a terrible terrible movie it's unbelievable how bad that movie is it's uh, it's atrocious i yeah there may be five other movies that come out this year uh, that are bad, but I don't think they'll ever be as bad as this. Uh, so Artemis Fowl is, is absolutely at the worst on my list. Did you give it a half a star? Uh, I think I gave it... Yeah, I think I gave it a half star. Well, that's my next movie. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to, uh, you know, feel bad a little bit right here for, for Judy Dench. Yeah. Um, we love her in Skyfall, Casino Royale, Spectre, but she was in Cats, <laughs> which has a uh, one five on Letterbox. Yikes! And then she goes to this movie, who which has a one three, which you don't think you could get any work from. <laughs> but then you go work on Artemis Fowl. Poor Colin Farrell. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a great actor. Uh, mistake being in this. Even even Josh Gad. Oh, yeah. uh, mistake. I I could read down the list and you know. Say, oh, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you because I do. Anybody who's involved in a shit show movie, I feel bad for. Whenever movies are this bad, we always think to ourselves, "Was nobody, nobody, like the producers, the writers, even the lighting guy, was nobody like, guys, this is awful. <laughs> what, what, what is going on? Like, is no one, is everyone afraid to say that? We talked to." Uh, few months ago about people being afraid to say things to Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee did not direct Artemis Fowl. Like, no. is nobody, does nobody realize, are they all blind to the fact that it's horrible? <laughs> or are they afraid to say things? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure whoever edited it was like, ooh, <laughs> this is this is what you got? Like, wow, this is awful. Yeah, so. it's just some, like, intern that, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. doesn't want to, you know, lose his job. 
my second worst of the year is Last Days of American Crime. Uh, this movie's fucking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> they take this, like... They, I, I, I fell asleep for 20 minutes during the middle, and I woke up, and I didn't even rewind it, because I, I didn't care. Um, they take this interesting concept, and they just do absolutely nothing with it. There's quite literally a scene of people, like, porking in the bathroom for, like, two or three minutes, and I don't need to see that. I get the gist of what you're doing in there. You don't need to show us you having sex in the bathroom. Um, it's just, it's horrible. I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, my worst, next worst of the year is going to be a movie that I really want, really, really wanted to love but I could not get, I couldn't get it. It was just so, so drab, so bad. Uh, that's going to be The Photograph, uh, starring uh, Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield, uh, two, two actors I love, really enjoy watching, and this movie just did nothing for either of them. It was just so boring and, like, so plain, and, and even its its love story was just pointless it was it was it was such a pointless movie i felt bad i saw this in theaters i've i've never wanted to walk out of a movie in theaters and i so fought the urge the entire movie to walk out of this one and i just barely hung on and i wish i hadn't that's how bad it was uh for me yeah it's gonna be the photograph well my next movie is is probably uh one of the more popular movies that that's come out this year. It, it, obviously, it's shit, but it was on the letterbox popular this week, number one for like a couple days. Yeah, uh, the Kissing Booth two. Who who thought that making a one hundred and thirty two minute movie about this would be a good idea, and then making a third one? <laughs> Seriously, this shit was so predictable. Uh, I. Like Nathan said, I don't even want to talk about it because it'll just get me so heated. It the story sucked. The story was some garbo. <laughs> so I don't even want to get started. I could, I could, we could have a whole episode on how shit that movie is. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to sit through that. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, so working backwards, my third divorce movie of the year is one that you guys have already talked about, Artemis Fowl. Um, it's <laughs> awful but it's not as bad as the two movies i just said um yeah it's awful i'll, I'll take your word for it like i'm not watching it. judy dench and colin farrell need new agents because and I, I don't know how they were sold on this they must have gotten a giant payday to be in this movie um josh gad's narration was ridiculously out of place <laughs> storyline was horrible um yeah this was awful yeah um, <laughs> my number three is a movie I honestly can't understand. I think right now it sits at 3.6 on Letterboxd. I freaking hate this movie so much. Oh, it is my. Emma. Oh my freaking God. <laughs> Talk about a pointless, baseless, ridiculously drab, uninteresting movie. <laughs> What the hell? It was just so stupid. And I love Anya Taylor-Joy, but everything else in this movie was just throwaway garbage. 
Yeah, literally. So my my next movie is is actually Emma. <laughs> I fucking hated this movie. This movie what is a hundred and twenty four minutes. It's two hours, and I think I watched the first like thirty minutes. Yeah. I never hated a character so much in my life. She was just a complete bitch. <laughs> like, thinks you know exactly what I'm talking about. People who know what I'll be talking about is this scene where they're like all together talking. Mm-hmm. And I forget exactly like word for word what she says, but she says something to one of the other girls. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you, you fucking just said that? Are you talking <laughs> now? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. It- this, this part of the film, Show is getting me so heated. All these movies that I I hate, hate. Ugh. It's a uh, it's an awful movie. Have you uh, Nathan? Have you seen Emma? No, I have no. not. The, Emma is is one of those movies, a long string of movies that have have come out in this year that have had like above a three four mm. that have just not been good at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna speaking of movies that have above three four that. Um, I know Nick and I are in the very, very minority for. So, um, yeah. hot take alert, if you're about to get mad at me for saying this, I'm just warning you now. Um, my fourth worst movie of the year is Birds of Prey. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I, I've said this numerous times on this show. Myself and Nick went with a couple buddies to this movie, and if it was just Nick and I, we would have walked out. Um, we would have you walked probably. out. Okay. I, I think <laughs> you were with me when I said we, we should walk out. Um, this was fucking awful. Um, I don't understand. I think Star Wars um, lovers are just obsessed with Ewan McGregor that they think that he can breathe and he's magic for it. Um, <laughs> look, I like Ewan McGregor. He's a fine actor. And I love Star Wars as well. But he was so ridiculously replaceable in this movie. I don't know why anyone thinks he was special. Um, with a movie like this, the humor either works for you to, or it doesn't. And for me and for Nick, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah. I thought it was another Deadpool where the first Deadpool was hilarious. You can't just copy Deadpool and expect it to be funny. Um, you walk in shooting beanbags at people. You're fucking crying over dropping a breakfast sandwich for like two minutes. And I'm supposed to think that's funny. <laughs> Little girl pooping herself. Like, I, 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 I genuinely do not understand how people find this funny. Um, my favorite YouTuber, Sean Chandler, said that this is his biggest surprise of the year. He loves this movie. I don't get it, guys. Um, like, this this was not funny at all. At all. I, I, I think I laughed at maybe one thing. Um, Margot Robbie is a great Harley Quinn, and uh, that's really the only good thing to come out of this movie. Um, I, if they make a sequel you might have to pay for my ticket for me to go see it. Um, this movie is fucking terrible and I will die on the hill that, that says that. Yeah. Uh, I have it a little bit higher, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I think the second thing, the movie that, uh, I, I I'm so upset that it, I didn't enjoy it. Um, it's going to be 7,500, uh, starring, uh, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's a 2019 movie. It, it came out in 2020 on my um and, and and on Prime it was released this year so uh that's ghost stories for you yeah so like but uh yeah this is this is awful like I was uh I was really disappointed at how bad this was uh, there's no way there's no way it's worse than Project Power 
<laughs> I've seen both of these movies. There's no way. I I haven't seen Project Power yet. Maybe it'll overtake overtake this one. But uh, yeah, this and I feel bad because Joseph Gordon-Levitt is such a great actor, and I don't know why he's in these like you know low. I won't say low budget, but definitely like just uninteresting movies where yeah, it's, it's, they're poorly written, poorly acted, poorly directed. But this one is just, it's all of that on top of having like the worst uh, climactic buildup you've ever seen. Like just stupid character decisions. I hated this. I, I truly hated this. And I was mad that I spent time on it. Uh, yeah, 7,500. <laughs> so my fifth worst movie of the year is a movie that We've already extensively talked about, which is Lovebird, so I'm going to talk about another movie. But before I, I want to talk about that movie, I'll, I want to talk about some honorable mentions that are so bad, but they still didn't even make the list. <laughs> Extraction, Project Power, The Tax Collector, Horse Girl, Birds of Prey. I didn't even like Sonic that much. <laughs> but my, my sixth least favorite, I think it's Tied, for a fifth is Capone with Tom Hardy. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Talk about a snooze fest. We <laughs> got on my phone for the last hour. This movie is, is one I would compare to the Zac Efron, um, t- uh, Tom Bundy, or no, it's not Ted, Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Ted Bundy movie where they yeah. cover like one of the probably more uninteresting aspects of the, this, historical person's life that covers Capone's last um, year of life. And basically all this movie is, is a bunch of hallucinations and him shitting himself because he's just so old, Um, old as in like 48 um, because like dementia and stuff. But Oh my God. Oh my God. It's such a thing. (laughs) Uh, My fifth to worst movie of the year, which is 27 right now is the lovebirds as well. Nick and I uh, have the same placement on that right now. This was fucking awful. This was one of the first few episodes we did talking about this. Mm -hmm. I don't think the humor works at all. It's so unbelievable. It's basically a replica of the Steve Carell movie Date Night, which is much funnier than this. Um, Yeah, this was fucking awful. So I'm going to do some honorable mentions and then talk about a different movie instead. Just (laughs) because we covered this. Uh, Some honorable mentions. Bloodshot, Spencer Confidential, The Decline. A Fall from Grace, Dangerous Lies. Um, I'm pretty sure all of those, except for Bloodshot, is a Netflix original. Shocker. <laughs> but the one I want to talk about is Project Power. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you, Phoenix, because you know, you've know you yet to watch it, but talk about a fucking waste of talent. I mean, wow. Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are two very talented actors, and I think they're on screen for maybe like 20 minutes together out of this close to two hour film. Um, there's no attempted story at all. Um, Dominique Fishback, they attempt to make some cringe rap humor in that movie. It's just a waste of time. Few movies, few, make me visibly angry and actually angry after we watch it. I was. Pissed. Ask this man sitting next to me. I was pissed 
when the credits rolled. I think I'm very generous giving this one and a half stars. This was a fucking shit show. So um, if you haven't checked out Project Power, don't. <laughs> I, I can't believe it's not in my bottom five. I can't believe that just goes to show you how bad 2020s has been this year. Because if this if Project Power is a 2019 release, it'd probably be in my bottom three. Um. Yeah. Uh, I've yet to see Project Power. I I really hope I uh, I enjoy it. It'll be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, let me let me give through a few of my honorable mentions here. Um, Star Girl on Disney Plus, absolute trash. Uh, the Lovebirds is also an honorable mention, as it should be in the bottom. But it's it, I enjoyed it a little bit more than these guys. Uh, my Spy which I saw with Dave Batista, it it tried. Uh, uh, The High Note, which I really wanted to enjoy with Tracy Ellis Ross and Dakota Johnson, it was just such a snooze fest. Uh, And uh, yeah, so my uh, worst movie uh, that I've seen, and this, this is, I actually did it backwards. This would be fifth. And Artemis Fowl would be first, but uh, <laughs> I did it the uh, I did it the other way around. But um, I saw this movie in theaters. I'm really disappointed that it has uh, at least a three on Letterboxd. Some people really enjoyed this movie. I got absolutely nothing out of it, and that is The Hunt with uh, Hilary Swank and Betty Gilpin. I love both of those actresses. Uh, there's a lot of people in this movie who I like, but this movie was shit. It was just horrible. It was like, you know, I, I and I am a fan of gratuitous violence. Like, like, I love gratuitous violence, and this one has it in spades, but it's just such a bullshit story. Like... Like, I say that with all the animosity I can muster. It's such a bullshit story. It's so cheaply done. It's such a such a cunt's wet dream. That's how that's how I feel about this movie. It is horrible. I fucking hate it. <laughs> um, and just to, just to touch on that, for any of our listeners that may be confused, the first movies we said were our worst. Yeah. So I realized that we did that. We did that yeah. a little a little backwards. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll fix it for the best. But, uh, you know, Phoenix, your worst was Artemis Fowl. Nick's worst was Ghost Stories. My worst was Love Wedding Repeat. The one we just most recently talked about is our fifth worst, our fifth worst which is still backwards. awful. But yeah. We'll, yeah. Do it, we'll do it better here. So starting with my number five. Oh, look, you want to do some honorable mentions too? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, some honorable mentions and, and just, again, how bad this year has been because I really didn't enjoy this movie or the whole movie. The Five Bloods, that's my number eight movie of the year and that's nothing special in my mind. Um, sorry, if <laughs> um, American Pickle, which I really didn't uh, think that I was going to like as much as I did, um, but I really enjoyed it. And then Uncorked, which is uh, like a movie that has... Ooh, Three and a half thousand, um, you know, people have seen it. Very under the radar, um, but I think a really good Netflix movie. Um, so my number five movie of the year 
and I think this movie gets way too much hate. It's irresistible um, with Steve Carell, Rose Byrne. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, Nathan and I talk about how humor just doesn't, you know, resonate with us sometimes. Um, and, you know, that can make or break a comedy. American Pickle, humor is great. I really enjoyed it. This one, the satire, uh, political satire humor, it was fantastic. Um, the relationship between Steve Carell and Rose Byrne's character was was great. She was um, a standout in this movie. And, and the twist at the end of this movie, it was probably a three star for me, but the twist at the end made it three and a half. So it's a, it's a B plus. So I really enjoyed it. But I know a lot of people, I'm in the minority on that one. All right, so uh, I got three honorable mentions, uncorked, like Nick just talked about. Not a lot of people have seen that. Definitely have some problems with that film, but it's a shit year, so whatever. Uh, the Old Guard, I thought was a fun time, a fun little thriller. Again, I don't think it's anything special, but it's a fun time. That's my fourth Yeah, well. Um, and another honorable mention for me is Palm Springs, a movie that I did have fun with, but I think everyone is... Uh, way, way, way overhyping and overrating. Um, so I had a fun time with it. I just don't think it's anything special. Uh, so that's number six for me. Number five is a movie that when Nick and I walked out of the theater, I was disappointed in. So for it to literally crack my top five shows you how shit of a year this is. And I'm sure you're sick of me saying that, but it's a shit year. So my number five is The Way Back. I don't really enjoy this movie that much. It's three stars. I thought it did a lot of good things, but I also thought it had some problems. This is the definition to me of a good movie. Not a great movie. Not a good movie that was had potential. No, this is a good movie and that's it. So the fact that that's in my top five is sad, but uh, The Way Back is number five for me. Wow. Okay, I just want to point out a few things. Uh, Way Back on my list is 26th. Uncorked is 24th. And Palm Springs is 14th. So neither of those <laughs> are in my honorable mentions. Uh, right now, my honorable mentions consist of uh, Bad Boys for Life. Uh, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence thought it was great. Uh, the Vast of Night. It's a prime original. Great directing. Uh, very interesting story. Loved it. And... Uh, the King of Staten Island, uh, Pete Davidson's uh, Judd Apatow's movie. Uh, those are those are going to be my honorable mentions on the year so far. Uh, so, kicking it off with my number five movie of the year uh, shouldn't be a shock to you guys, but it might be. It's going to be Bad Education, starring uh, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic movie. Really enjoyed it. Loved the story. Thought it was well well written. Uh, I love Hugh Jackman. Like I said, Hugh Jackman can do no wrong in my mind. So uh, yeah, Bad Education is going to be my number five movie of the year. Yeah, just just for anybody watching out there, I think Phoenix and Nathan and I all do our our twenty twenties a little bit different. Um, Phoenix, I think you're going off like when it was released, um, like when. Oh. Yeah, your when yeah. you were physically available to watch it. Yeah, when it was made available to audiences. Yeah, it was it, it was originally debuted at like the Toronto International Film Festival in 2019, but it just 
major audiences. So like whenever it's released to major audiences, that's the year I take it from. So it came to HBO in 2020. So yeah, and and see, I see a lot of people do that. The way that Nathan and I just for everybody out there who's listening, I specifically go on Letterbox. Um, so if it says 2020 on Letterbox, it's 2020. If it says 2019, it's 2019. Even though there's been some 2019 releases that have just hit audiences like Bad Education, Yes, God, Yes, The Vast of Night, 7,500, 7, those kind of movies. So those will appear yeah. on Nick and I's 2019. Right. But just talking on Bad Education, because that's, it, if it was a 2020, it'd be my, my best of the year. Um, it's my number 13 of 2019. I thought this movie, that movie was fantastic. But moving on into my number four is um, Palm Springs. This has a 3.8 on Letterboxd. This was a movie that I think we did for the show, right? Pretty exactly. Pretty exactly, yeah. Um, I wanted to love this movie. I really did. One of my uh, YouTubers that I follow, Austin Burke, he gave it four and a half. It has a 3.8 on Letterboxd with a majority of people giving it four stars. And this was a movie I thought I would love. Um, but it's just it was just missing that little extra something to like push it push it further to, to making it a four stars. Like Nathan said about The Way Back, this is a good film, not a great film, but also not a terrible one either, so. Yikes. <laughs> that movie has a 3.8? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Infinity War. Okay. So, uh, my number four is once again, I guess 2020 is the year for me where something everyone loves, I don't. Uh, number 2020 for, or uh, number four for me is something that I'm sure is in everyone's top three is The Invisible Man. I thought this was good, not great. Once again, like I, I had a good time with it. It definitely stayed away from a lot of the typical horror tropes of let's just throw in as many jump scares as we want. It actually had real characters. It had a, a fine storyline. Um, of course, there were some things I want to see differently. But I remember when this hit theaters, everyone was giving it four and a half or four yeah. or five stars. That's 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 not right. Um, <laughs> uh, you guys got to watch more movies if you think Invisible Man's four and a half stars. Um, yeah, I gave it three and a half. Again, in an awful year, that, that comes in at number four for me. A movie that... I was moderately impressed by I had a good time, but it's not special. Uh, well, this will be interesting. Uh, the only reason this is fourth on my list is because the other three movies that I saw are just so, like, I wouldn't say that they're miles better, but they're, they're a lot better. Uh, and my number four is going to be The Invisible Man. Uh, I really enjoyed The Invisible Man. I loved Elizabeth Moss in this movie. Uh, I forgot to mention another honorable mention would be Shirley, the other movie that Elizabeth Moss did, which, like, in a bad year, is it, still pretty decent. Um, but, yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, this was number one on my list for a long time because that's how bad 2020 was. But uh, I love this film. I think it has a really good twist, a really interesting story. I love what they did with the concept. It got me super excited for what else they do. So I think for everything it is, right now with everything being as shitty as it is, 
it's tops of the list, Invisible Man at number four. All right, that leads into my top three. Um, this is also a movie that Nathan mentioned, The Way Back. Um, this was the last movie that we saw in theaters. Um, Nathan and I actually counted down to the day. It was 171 days since we had seen anything in the theater. This was the last back all the way March 5th. Which we were also had the theaters to ourselves. Which we also had the theaters to ourselves <laughs> that night. On opening night, right? It was opening night. Yeah. Which is, wow. uh, yeah. So, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. You know, loves watching sports. Would not think that uh, sports would have been canceled after this movie was released, which is kind of crazy. But like, like Nathan said, it's a good movie. Will I watch it ever again? Maybe like once, but it's not a movie that I'm like, wow, I have to watch this again. Maybe when I like watch all of Gavin O'Connor's film, obviously I'll watch it again. But that's my number three. Yeah, my number three is Defy Bloods. Um, a very anticipated release earlier this year. Uh, Delroy Lindo is still my pick for best actor as, as of uh, mid-August, but I, I, I think Spike Lee's direction was mostly Pretty good in this one. Again, this is a B plus for me, three and a half stars. We talked a lot about this on one of our previous episodes, so I won't go into it too much. Um, if Spike didn't get on his soapbox and just absolutely shove it down your throat, this would be a little bit better. Um, also, there were just some some odd decisions in here with, with Delroy Lindo's monologue, and I hate plot coincidences. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. <laughs> and there's quite a few plot coincidences in this movie. So, and it's too long. If it, if it was, I think it's pushing three hours. Um, yeah. If this, if this was, you know, 90 minutes to, to two hours, this would easily be the number one for me, but um, just makes a little too many mistakes. Okay. No, my number three is going to be a movie. I'm sure neither of you have heard of. Uh, it is a Netflix original film. It is a movie called Tiger Tail. Uh, yeah, I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, I think it's it's just a fantastic little slice of life film. Uh, and it deals with uh, the decisions that you make in your in your youth that affect you in, in later in life. And I think it's just done so well. And it's also a love story. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I think what I love and like I'll say this several times cinematography will win me over always like if your cinematography is fantastic I'm gonna be drawn in and the cinematography in this movie is outstanding you have great performances by the whole cast a lovely story so uh, with 2020 being a, a bit of a weaker year I still think this movie would top my list any year but uh, it's number three for right now in 2020 Right, number two on my list is, uh, I think it's the first Apple Plus original that they made, and it has a fantastic front three with um, Anthony Mankey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Nicholas Holt. It is The Banker. Mm -hmm. I love period pieces. I'm a big history fan. Um, so going back to the, the 60s is, is always a enjoyable you know, time for me. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, love that movie. Um, this is just a great movie. Um, I think it's extremely underrated, even though it has like a it has a three four on Letterbox. I gave it three and a half stars. Um, 
it's one of my favorite movies of the year. So, The Banker. Nice. Number two for me is one I've been preaching since we started this show, Hogar, The Occupant. You dub it in English on Netflix. Uh, a Netflix original that, you know, we shit on Netflix original also all day, <laughs> but you just recommended a Netflix original that's not in English. Here I am doing the same thing. Maybe just U.S. Netflix originals are, are awful. <laughs> um, Hogar, The Occupant, was fantastic. I sat down to watch this late at night, and by the time it was over and I went to bed, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, it just does so many great things. If you don't know anything about this movie, don't look it up. Go into this blind. Um, the first half hour is slow. If you can get through that, it's totally worth it. If you love Parasite, it's not going to live up to Parasite, but it's got spices of Parasite. They're similar. Um, I defend this movie all the time. Hogar, the occupant. It's on Netflix. Uh, dub it in English. I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Nice. Uh, my number two is going to be a movie that I mentioned oh, a few weeks back. Uh, it's still one of my uh, favorite films of the year. Uh, debuted at, a, I believe, either Sundance or TIFF. I can't remember which one it was at. But uh, just made its 2020 release. And that's going to be Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, directed by, uh, God, I forgot her name. Directed by Eliza Hittman. Uh, star Sydney Flanagan, debut role, uh, fantastic film, just really well done, really expertly told and directed and crafted. Uh, it, it, I can't say enough good things about this film except just watch it. Like, watch it. Like, if you don't come away from it, um, like, Im at least impressed, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> but never, rarely, sometimes, always, second favorite movie of the year. So moving into my number one movie of the year was The Invisible Man. Um, it stood there for a long time. It's honestly just kind of waiting for someone to replace it. That's actually a good movie. Um, what I love about this film, and I'll touch on some, some different things that uh, you guys touched on, is that the fact that it's a horror movie that actually has a good story um, background, I think – this has probably been the most tension in a movie all year. And a interpretation that I read online that kind of changed my view of it is how, um, you know, this whole story with Elizabeth Moss and how nobody believed her until they saw it for themselves firsthand and kind of relating that back to domestic violence mm -hmm. and how that plays a role in our society today. And I think that that interpretation nails it right on the head. Um, so that's kind of changed my opinion of it. Like I said, it, it's a it's a really good film. Um, I I love the horror genre when it actually has a good storyline, like the first It um, in 2017. But The Invisible Man is is waiting to be replaced as my number one. My number one is Lost Girls. Um, I, <laughs> I'm just um, I'm a jokey movie. Um, Dr. Shocker, Nick and I like the same things. Uh, my number one is The Banker. I think that, I just watched this a couple weeks ago, and I, I I don't get it. I don't get what people don't like about this. Um, Austin Burke, who seems to love every single movie under the sun, said that uh, this was bland and failed to do anything different. I don't, I, I completely disagree. Like, 
a movie that this is very similar to is Just Mercy, as far as the the racism and the just what they're trying to overcome with the plot. Um, and I think the banker does almost everything better than Just Mercy. I don't I don't understand. Like, is it is it because it's a smaller film? Is it because it's not a big theatrical release? I don't understand. People that say this movie isn't special or unique or doesn't anything different, I feel like we're watching different films because there were several times where I was like, oh, wow, or I thought they handled the scene really well. It's great to see Anthony Mackie in a non-superhero role. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is just always great at playing the wisecracker. And then uh, just Nicholas Holt. I haven't seen Nicholas holding anything, which is really weird. But um, I thought he was fantastic as well. So, The Banker, uh, if you don't have Apple TV+, Plus, uh, you're really missing out because I really enjoyed this. And if you think this is just an average movie, like, please let Nick and I know because I, I, I really don't understand why people don't love this. It's four stars for me. I'm not, like, giving it five stars or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know why, why people don't like this. So easily coming in in first place is, is the banker for me wow it is on my uh phone right now i actually have it pulled up uh so that's next on my watch list uh but right now currently holding my number one spot shocker it's gonna be the five bloods uh yeah the five bloods spike lee's movie uh latest movie I think this movie's absolutely fantastic. I mean, really well written. I know like people have issues with the length. I have an issue with the length as well, but I just think there's so much good things in here. Uh, like I would say the, the good things outweigh the bad here and the good things are so good that that's why it's tops of my list. Uh, the cinematography is fantastic. Delroy Lindo. Uh, it, again, I'm with you, Nathan, is still the front runner for best lead actor. Um, uh, Jonathan Majors, who I think is fantastic, is a great supporting actor. Uh, I love that uh, some people complain that, you know, their stories are, are brought up or plot points are brought up, but never really fully uh, explored because there's so many of them in this movie. But I actually think that I like that a lot because he's telling a story that's so heavily involved and so involves so many different things that just approaching them and not really fleshing them out, I think is how we've always approached those topics. So that's what I dig about it. I think it's just a really smart movie. I, I love everything about this. So for me, number one is going to be Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Yeah. And I love Chadwick Boseman in the lead role there in that yeah. movie. I mean, oh. <laughs> Boseman in, in the lead was just fantastic. I mean, it was nice to see him, uh, you know, like I said, seeing what Spike did with the young David, John David Washington. You know, Toto Bozeman is, is a young man as well. Love seeing him in the lead. Um, yeah. You mean so, the 15th name down, actually? <laughs> for anyone that is, uh, is wondering about that, you can head on over to our episode where we talk about the Five Bloods uh, to understand that reference. So, <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to have to not understand it. <laughs> so that's our best and worst of 2020 hopefully that satisfied you guys uh it is definitely a shit year um we're waiting for some some good things to come out hopefully tenant black widow new Dude. mutants yeah <laughs> <laughs> new movies. 
Um, but yeah, so that's, that's our list. All right. So, uh, let us know what you guys think. You know, we gave you our, our Twitters and our letterboxes. Go ahead and, and let us know what you love. You know, if you agree with us, if you've seen The Banker, if you've seen Invisible Man, The Five Bloods. Project Power. Yeah. Yeah, if you've seen Project Power and let me know that, I'll, I'll, I'll say sorry for you. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it is your code word this week. It is, and I don't think anyone's going to get it. Uh, uh, I don't think so. Did <laughs> I make it too hard? Uh, uh, probably. Well, remind everyone what your code word was and your clues, please. Yeah, so my code word was goals. Goals. Uh, my first clue was that it featured two older actors who are considered legends, and that is not just in my book. I think... Everyone considers these people legends. Uh, when I eventually reveal what this is, if either of these two guys says that one of these people is not a legend, I'm going to smack them because <laughs> everyone knows these two are legends. That's not, not up for debate. Um, the second clue was that it was from 2005 to 2010. It's a nice five little stretch. And um, clue number three was it was somehow connected to Interstellar and Now You See Me, those two films. Uh, so with... All that in mind, Phoenix, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so I got nothing. I, like, I spent like two hours trying to find like the connection between Interstellar and Now You See Me. I was like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. The only thing that I could come close to was Michael Caine. Michael Caine is in both movies. So I was like, okay, what's the movie that Michael Caine was in that, you know, saying fits that timeline? And the best, literally the best I could come up with, and I, I'm sure this is wrong, is 2007, uh, a movie that stars him, also stars Hugh Jackman, Scarlett Johansson, and Christian Bale, and that is The Prestige. I know that's wrong. That is literally the. Is it? I don't know when it is. It's probably 2006. I have no idea. Uh, let me see. The Prestige. It is 2006. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm sure that's wrong. But <laughs> that was the only thing I could come up with. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how this turns out. But uh, yeah. That's my guess. It was the prestige. Gotcha, Nick. All right. I assume that I'm wrong as well. I have I the, the connection instantly um, between uh, Interstellar and Now You See Me. I don't think you did. Michael Caine. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm both. Nathan loves Michael Caine. So that was, that was my, my one connection there. Um, I've never heard of this guy before, um, but he was born in 1964, so I can only assume that that you would choose him. I, I don't know. 
or uh, now, I'm, now I'm second guessing myself. Who knows? Um, I'm just going to go with a movie that I've actually heard of. 2006, Children of Men, Alfonso mm-hmm. Caron has Michael Caine in it. Uh, the, the little synopsis says um, a former activist agrees to help transport a pregnant woman to a sanctuary at sea where her child's birth may help scientists save the future of humankind. That's kind of goal-oriented. Who knows? <laughs> well, I don't know. I saw that, but I couldn't figure out who the two legends were, so I was like, I don't know if that's it. But. Yeah. I have seen children, man. That's a good movie. Very good. Um, I usually don't like to pick things that are on my letterbox, though, because when you stalk my letterbox, you'd be able to find it. <laughs> uh, children of Men is not it. The Prestige is not it, even though The Prestige is one of my favorite films. Um, I think I threw you guys way off the stench with that third clue. Um, Michael Caine is not involved in this project. Um, and honestly, when you hear what how those things are connected, I'm probably going to get uh, a knife uh, in my <laughs> sleep tonight. Um, but by who I want you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you, you a little story here. So, um, one of the directors that I've discovered is, is I'm a fan of their work, uh, over the summer during the quarantine is Rob Reiner. And he has done a few good men when Harry met Sally and uh, I, did, I believe he did Stand By Me as well. Um, I enjoy all his films, especially A Few Good Men, fantastic. When Harry Met Sally is a great comedy. Um, so looking through his work, and there was something that I have seen a while ago, pre-Letterbox days, pre-movie uh, fan days. And the two actors that it stars, the two legends that it stars, um, are two people that are not up for debate as far as being uh, legendary actors, and that would be Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. So if anyone out there thinks that those two are not legend, acting legends, you're crazy. Um, so those two definitely are acting legends. Um, that movie is 2007's The Bucket, Bucket List, List, directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, yeah, so features those two, and the, the code word is goals, and you know, a bucket list is you make your goals. To, oh, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> Phoenix has uh, exited exited the screen. Hey. <laughs> how did you not know it then? Are you kidding me? It was right in front of me this whole time. <laughs> That's on you, Chief. <laughs> so, yeah, directed by Rob Reiner, 2007's A Bucket List. Um, I don't think this is necessarily a great film. This is probably my definition of a three-star film. Uh, love seeing Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, two icons, uh, go at it. But here's where I'm going to get knifed tonight for uh, this clue. Oh, it's going to be like a makeup artist. Um, <laughs> Robert Layton works with um, Rob Reiner on almost all of his projects. He worked with him on The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, Stand By Me. Uh, he is the editor of this movie as well. So little quick search on Letterboxd to the crew, you would know that. Uh, he also was the editor on Now You See Me. Mm-hmm. And then um, Martha Johnston was the art director on, or uh, excuse me, is the art director on this film and is the set director for Interstellar. Uh, Interstellar is one of the most visually 
stunning movies I've ever seen. I think everyone pretty much agrees how visually stunning it is. So uh, got to give a shout out to Martha there on that one. So yeah, Martha, come on our show. We too often focus on the people in front of the screen. Um, I tried to to show, you know, try to incorporate some people behind the camera that, that don't get talked about enough. So uh, the bucket list was the code word this week, and I'm kind of happy none of you guys got it. Okay, there's no way I would have known that. Like, like what? Like, it, uh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> that was that was a very misleading clue. I just want to point that out. Um, I, I literally own this movie. I'm so mad. All right. Well, uh, we got to get up out of here, guys. Uh, so, Nick, to let everybody know where they can find you. Oh, uh, you can find me on Letterbox at Nick Bain. Um, like Nathan mentioned earlier, going through our Wes Anderson watch right now, uh, trying to grind those out, but trying we'll, not trying to fall trying to not fall asleep during them. Yeah. Um, then we got uh, Fincher coming up and the Coen Brothers eventually. So make sure you're following along for all that fun stuff. At, and I'll be going to the theater watching the uh, New Mutants and Pennant. So that'll be fun as well. All right. And Nathan, where can everybody find you, man? Find me on Letterboxd at Nathan Pig. That's Pig with two Gs. Uh, I got a little lightning bolt next to my name. That's how you know you got the right guy. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, just like Nick, Nick and I pretty much watch all the same things, so... If you like his stuff, you'll like my stuff, vice versa. Um, don't forget to follow the show over on Twitter at FilmCodePod. We do a ton of stuff for you guys to interact with us, uh, getting a little more interactions that, than, than we have in the past, but still not quite where we'd like it. So don't forget to follow the show. Uh, if you're listening and you love our content, let us know that. You know, We want to know who our big fans are out there. Um, we just don't know. We've had a couple people reach out, but you know, if you love this, let us know. Um, Whatever streaming platform you're listening to this on, please give us five stars. Please give us a good, a good score that helps us reach new audiences and kind of expand ourselves out there. So um, if you could please just take a couple seconds to, to give us a good score, we would really appreciate it. Agreed. Uh, like Nathan said, uh, my name's Phoenix. You can find me on Letterboxd under PA Cloudin. I'm also on Twitter at IMHOReviews1. That's the number one. And follow the show on Twitter at FilmCodePod. Uh, really, really exciting to interact with you guys. And uh, thanks so much to Nick and Nathan for the show today. We will see you guys next week. And we're out of here. Peace.